Hey everyone, welcome to the very first Health Focus podcast. My name's Robbie Bennett and today's episode is going to be everything intermittent fasting, circadian rhythm fasting, time-restricted feeding. So grab your notebook, sit down and enjoy. James is going to be be my co-host for today and what we're hoping to achieve from today's conversation is a little bit more information on what exactly intermittent fasting is. So the whole purpose of this podcast is to give you listeners information regarding nutrition, health, fitness, um, supplementation and all these other factors to consider and um, that do fall under the health umbrella. So as we go along kind of from episode to episode, I'll be doing more Q&A style podcasts where I'll interview some guests. There will also be times where I'll have a co-host on, it may be James, maybe someone else, where we go through a Q&A style where questions will be posted in maybe to my Instagram account or to the Gmail and we will go either to a rapid fire Q&A or spend a bit more time on depending on how I feel. But that's kind of the structure I want to take with the podcast. So again, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to hand it over to James and he's going to go through some of the questions. So yeah, today's episode is on intermittent fasting. We're a few weeks into January and a lot of people have goals, New Year's resolutions, they're trying to lose weight. And one of the more popular kind of term types of fasting or types of weight loss really is intermittent fasting. I've seen it on plenty of websites, a lot of news articles recently that came out about how good intermittent fasting is and we have some questions here which I'd say are the most commonly asked questions in regards to intermittent fasting. So I'm going to go into the first one. I'm going to ask Robbie, what are the benefits of intermittent fasting? Yeah, so first off, James, intermittent fasting isn't new. It's been around thousands of years. There's been parts of history where people have eaten and there's been parts of history where people didn't eat or fasted for a prolonged period of time. So some of the benefits of fasting is... All these fancy words called cellular autophagy, which is programmed cell death or um, the programmed cell death of an old cell so we can create new cells in the body or cellular regeneration. So a lot of people will talk about fasting for the anti-aging benefits and it definitely does have some science to it in terms of the anti-aging benefits. When we look at things that extend life, caloric restriction definitely ex- extends life in animals. There's never been really human studies to suggest that, but people do suspect that caloric restriction can extend life. And again, we've seen fasting and um, food restriction in animals extend life as well. So that's why fasting has gotten a lot more popular lately for obviously the health benefits and weight loss and anti-aging, etc. Yeah, I have seen it come up quite often now recently. You've heard about types of diets keto is another popular one yeah but just recently i've seen i've been on websites such as reddit and i see intermittent fasting has come up a lot and it seems to work for a lot of people so i just had these questions i wanted to ask and i'll go into the second question and it's probably the most common one i've seen it's will intermittent fasting help me lose weight yeah so when we look at intermittent fasting we need to look at what exactly what form of fasting is the client doing or is the individual using so there's like intermittent fasting for me is an umbrella term for different types of fast there's 16 hours fasting eight hour eating window there's something called circadian rhythm fasting where you're eating within uh, daylight hours and fasting within nighttime hours there's 24 hour fasts even the longest documented fast in history is 382 days so 
people can go long periods of time without consuming food. And when you think about it, when, when people consume food, they're essentially getting energy from the food we consume. But there's essentially energy on our bodies as well. Energy in the forms of amino acids in our muscle, which our muscle is a reservoir of amino acids, or, or body fat tissue. So by fasting, it can be um, a healthy and beneficial method to elicit fat loss. Okay, and you mentioned there types of, you know, 16 hours fasting, 8 hours eating. Um, how long should a person really fast for? What's for weight loss, you know, for just health benefits? So, it's interesting you say that. I would say do the minimum amount for the maximum reward. So, sometimes people will, when they initially start to try doing any sort of fast, they'll jump straight to um, a 24-hour fast or, or even something called a 5-2 diet where you're fasting or you're calorie restricting five days a week and then you know, you're um, you're increasing your calories up to two days a week, so stuff like that. And I, I would say less is more in them situations. I would say the best diet or the best fasting protocol is the one you can maintain. So I would recommend as a, as a starting point, just a 12-12. So you're eating within a 12-hour window, you're fasting within a 12-hour window. And then depending on what you're looking to achieve and how your energy levels are, how your blood sugar levels are, how your hormones are, and how everything is kind of under the hood, maybe progress to a 16-8 intermittent fast. And primarily, my preference with any sort of fasting is keeping it within daylight hours. So at breakfast, lunch, and pull that dinner a little bit earlier in the day, um, opposed to skipping breakfast and having lunch dinner. Either or work, but my preference for longevity is definitely keeping the calories in the daylight hours, just because, again, humans, we're not nocturnal creatures, we shouldn't really be eating that late, so it will have an effect on our melatonin secretion, on our growth hormone at night. We're gonna be digesting food in, you know, asleep rather than um, regenerating new tissue, detoxification, synthesizing new hormones like testosterone, like growth hormone, like I mentioned. Okay. So the next question is, what foods should I eat after breaking my fast? So I'm fasting for 16 hours. What should I eat? What's good? Yeah, so in my opinion, I see a big error in fasting by breaking a fast with a carbohydrate-rich meal. Why I'm not a big fan of that is, one, carbohydrates are not very satiating, so they don't make you feel full very much. Two, well, you can say some carbohydrates are nutrient-dense, but majority of carbohydrates, you're not going to get much micronutrients from them. So what I, what I would recommend is you I would always break your fast with a protein-rich source. And the reason I, I'm so fussy about a, a good quality protein-rich source is when we think about what the Greek word for protein is, it's proteos. And proteos means first importance. And protein really is first importance. So I would always recommend a protein-rich meal in the form of it could be meat, red meat, fish, eggs, um, ven um, let's say veal, venison, any sort of thing like that, that'd be quite beneficial. And then some fats on the side. Carbohydrates are okay, but I wouldn't just have a primarily carbohydrate, if that makes sense. Focus more on protein. Yeah, protein because one, it's satiating. Two, it'll help you maintain um, the amount of muscle mass you have. And decrease the amount of muscle protein breakdown which is occurring and muscle protein breakdown just it just means you don't want to be losing muscle because muscle is metabolically expensive 
your, your body doesn't like having too much muscle on it because having a lot of muscle is like a big engine. But the good thing about having a big engine, it burns off a lot of fuel. Mm-hmm. So protein helps maintain that muscle mass. Okay. The next question is, do diet drinks like Diet Coke or would milk in my coffee, would they break a fast? So f- first I'll answer the diet drinks question. So when we look at diet drinks, they'll have non-caloric um, sweeteners in them and generally you'll see aspartame, ACE K or sugar lows, NutraSweet, all that sort of stuff. And essentially when we look at them sweeteners, they're um, void of calories, but they're still gonna have an endocrine or a hormonal response. So, and these hormones can, um, can manipulate the rate of fat loss. Now, essentially there is no energy coming in, but it can still increase your cravings and in a lower, let's say your energy levels and make, make it harder to maintain a fast. So when we look at these energy drinks, one thing I see is because they're quote unquote no calories or void of calories, people consume much more of them or more than they typically would if they were consuming the, the pure sugar substitute. And for me, for me to introduce a food into the diet, there has to be some sort of health benefit. And I don't see any health benefit, nor do I see um, compliance being even better with diet drinks. So personally, I wouldn't recommend them unless they have stevia in them. And the reason I like stevia opposed to most other sweeteners is because it's been shown in the research to actually have a blood sugar beneficial effect. So that can actually benefit um, your phase one and phase two insulin response through um, GLP-1 mechanism. So, and that seems a bit heavy, you know, I'm saying a lot of words there, but um, so for some of the listeners out there, they might understand what that means. If not, Stevie can just help improve your blood sugar. You know what, it's a plant, it's inexpensive. Some people may even call it an anti-diabetic drug. So it's very, very powerful if you look into the research. And then I like coffee. I I don't mind black coffee, but I like to put a bit of milk cream into my coffee. Will that break my fast? So anything that's not water essentially breaks your fast. Now we need to evaluate, is breaking your fast with a black coffee beneficial or negative? And I would say, there's no real downfall to breaking your fast with a coffee. You're not consuming any proteins or fats there. You're still tipping, you know, you're, you're still fasting essentially, but what's happening is your liver is now processing the caffeine. So you're going to feel, you know, your blood pressure go up, your heart rate go up from the caffeine, but I don't see any problem with that majority of the time. So diet drinks, basically diet Coke, it triggers like an insulin response it makes your brain yeah, think insulin, that you're glucagon, drinking and essentially when we're fasting we want the body in homeostasis which is the optimal blood pressure blood sugar and um, hormonal level or people say balancing hormones i don't believe there's such thing as balancing hormones but you want them in a nice synergy and um, by having diet drinks that you're turning them out of that homeostasis which i don't find is super productive when you're trying to do a fast okay this is for people who are doing who are fasting it's should i exercise while i'm fasting or should i wait until i end my fast so what i'd say with that is it depends on the individual some people like to train fasted and that's because they're training earlier in the morning i love i love training in the morning but i actually prefer training with a bit of food in my stomach so i like to train about one or two hours after i eat a meal some people that i train in the mornings come to see me at six seven eight a.m and they're going to work straight after so really they don't have the time to be 
making breakfast in the morning. So in that situation, I would say, you know what, um, have a black coffee if you want to, and go to the gym, train, and then after your workout, you know, anywhere between 60 minutes to an hour after your workout, or um, 60 minutes to two hours after your workout, have a meal and get something in. Um, another situation would be, you know what, have something small before your workout, maybe um, two rashers or um let's say a whole egg or some salmon, something like that doesn't really sit in your stomach like, you don't want to be having minced beef or a steak for your workout, something like that, or even pasta. Pasta really would sit in the stomach and make you feel blow throughout a workout, so I wouldn't suggest that, if that makes sense, James. Yeah, it could be could be dangerous for people who are who are fasting, they might get lightheaded. Yeah, not even lightheaded. Like, what I would typically see is when people are having heavy meals like that, they're just going to feel nauseous, they're going to feel sluggish, and they... They can't catch their breath. They feel like they're belching up their food and performance suffers. And again, when you're in the gym, you're, you're there to perform. You're there to bring yourself closer to a specific goal. So by having a heavy meal, it might not be the most productive thing to do if you get any. Okay. So people who are fasting and are people who are exercising while they're fasting, a common question is, should I lift weights while intermittent fasting? So again... Back to my last kind of answer, it depends on the individual. So factors you need to evaluate when you're asking me, should I uh, lift weights while I fast, are the goals. So if your goal is fat loss or hypertrophy, and hypertrophy just means essentially building muscle, it, I, I wouldn't recommend fasting before your workouts if you're trying to build muscle. If fat loss is the goal, yeah, you know what, it's, it's not counterproductive. If you feel like you can go in the gym, kick ass, and perform really well, go for it. Um, a better option, in my opinion, would be maybe having some free-form amino acids during your workout. What that would do is just decrease um, a hormone called cortisol, which is uh, a stress hormone. So, yes, we want cortisol, but we don't want it too high as well. We want to maintain um, the muscle that we do have because, again, muscle is expensive to have. It's very, very hard to build muscle. It's incredibly easy to lose muscle. I don't know if you've ever gotten sick or gotten the flu or gotten a cold or been dead down, but muscle really comes off you very very quick and the reason being is when we look at muscle it's a reservoir of protein or, or amino acids essentially amino acids are the building blocks of protein so amino acids are responsible for growth repair of every tissue in your body 50 percent of hormones are made from amino acids or proteins and your immune system requires amino acids your gut um glutamine is very very essential or important for good health as well so when any illness or if you if you do fall ill or anyone falls ill you know your, your protein requirement actually does go up you do, do you need higher quality amino acids i see footballers they might do their acl and when they're coming back training photos you can see the muscle maybe in their legs atrophied yeah, yeah, yeah they've gotten smaller yeah, yeah. they got a lot you smaller see, you see that all the time and the reason is one of the principles of training is um said principle specific adaptation to impose demand so in order to like let's say get better at squatting we need to squat but yeah and, and there's another principle and that's reversibility if you don't use it you lose it so by not training that muscle by getting it injured and by not challenging the muscle it does regress but that that does come back over time as well so i wouldn't be too worried about that for people who are doing intermittent fasting to lose weight and I say the majority of people yeah. who are doing it are there to lose weight. Um, what's the best way of tracking weight loss? So personally speaking, I think the gold standard way of tracking progress, I didn't say weight loss, is pictures. Okay. You can take a selfie of yourself or you can take a picture in the mirror. 
where you can see your legs, you can see your abs, you can see your arms, so you can get a good visual and assessment of where you're at. I would recommend taking another picture every two to four weeks to see what direction you're going. And, that, and every two to four weeks then is when you start to tweak your nutrition or what's going on, or your training, or your lifestyle, or your sleep, or your supplementation. So, the gold standard, photographs. Secondly to that, if you have access to a coach who is willing to do your skin folds, like um, your body fat, that can be very, very beneficial as well. It's good to keep you on track. It's good to keep you accountable. Other stuff you can do is hip to waist measures. Scales is okay. The only problem with the scales is, again, we're looking at fat distribution. We're looking at bone density or bone weight. We're looking at um, how much food is in your GI tract and your stomach, um, your water, your hydration status, so other factors there. So for me, weight is important, but again, how you feel and how you look in the mirror is much more important than that. Like shirt sizes, if you're yeah. a large, going to medium. Belt of, buckle. Of I course, yes. Yeah. So, so a lot of times when clients come to me, you know, they want to fit into a dress or they want to fit into a suit for a wedding or a pair of jeans or a t-shirt, which they haven't fit into for a while. So clothes is a great assessment because, um, you know, <laughs> your that, that pair of jeans isn't going to change sizes. You, essentially, you're changing size. So that that's really, really good as well to, to use as an assessment. And the final question I have here is a plateau you know what is a plateau and how do you overcome one yeah so a plateau for everyone that's listening is essentially a point of time where you stop seeing results of which that you once did doing whatever protocol you're following so in order to kind of break a plateau we need to evaluate factors like let's say your training your, your frequency of training your volume of training the exercise selection so there's a lot of factors in regards to your training. But also we need to evaluate your nutrition. So your macronutrients, your frequency of meals, your calories, your genetic um, ability to, let's say, not even ability, but your genetics and how well you respond to your macronutrient ratios, your stress levels, your sleep, your environment, your travel. All of these factors will influence why you're having a plateau but we need to evaluate, evaluate why it's happening what what is the factor that's limiting your success and then we need to remove that factor or find a way to manage that in order to keep you going towards the goal you're looking to achieve if that makes sense so a lot of time plateaus for me that i see with my clients is you know it might be stress from work related or lack of sleep because a newborn child or an, an infant or it might be inability to recover from workouts. Sometimes, actually, people can be over... No, I don't believe there's such thing as overtraining, but I do believe there's such thing as under-recovery. So, and my definition of overtraining would be, or under-recovery would be training so frequently that when you're going into the gym the next day, you're not recovered enough that you can train and go in the right direction of your goals. So, if that makes sense to you, James. So, squatting. I've squatted for the first time a few weeks ago and I remember the pain yeah. I couldn't walk for four of days of course and I think all the listeners remember the first time they squatted or the first time they've done let's say GVT which is general volume training 10 sets of 10 because you feel it you feel that awareness and that not that training. anybody has ever squatted for the first time in their life and the day after go back in for more squats you're saying that's overtraining. that's not getting resting enough you can overtrain by squatting one day and then squatting the next day rather than you know what so no, I, I, 
I don't think you can overtrain like that. So with a beginner, it's very hard to overtrain because generally when a, a beginner goes into squat, they're not squatting a heavy load relative to what they should be squatting. So essentially it's not overtraining. It's just that they're not conditioned enough to deal with the volume right, right now. So the, the better that beginner eats and sleeps and recovers, the more frequently they can train. So you know what? For a beginner, they could squat five, six times a week. That's fine. And in a row. But as long as they're recovering from it, I wouldn't suggest going in with crippling doms and trying to squat because I don't think that's productive then. So just to get on onto the, the plateau question, introducing new new um, you know weight law or weight training, doing a barbell row or do a, a bench press, incorporating that that you never did before, and then you hit a plateau. If you introduce new routines in the gym, that can then help overcome it. As yeah, well. so new routines in the gym are very very important as well because there's certain principles of training that we, we you must kind of follow in order to be seeing success and um, one rule is the law of accommodation and what that states is if you are following a program for a prolonged period of time there's at a certain point you will start to accommodate to that program and even like not only will you not see any more progress or you know strength or hypertrophy but you'll actually see regression so I would suggest changing your program up every four to six weeks in the gym. Um, I would change up the repetitions, I would change up the sets, and I would also change up the exercise selection, just so you're not actually reaching those plateaus, if that makes sense. And touching on diet again, if I'm eating Monday to Friday chicken, next week Monday to Friday steak, what about, and my body gets used to it, I might hit a plateau, could I have, let's say... So your body won't get used to steak or get used to chicken. It will get used to the macronutrients mm. and it'll get used to the calories, but it doesn't get used to a protein. You can, When you're eating that protein, it's, it's essentially taking the energy from that food or the amino acids, the fats and the carbohydrates. Could I, you know, if, if my weight loss was going down steadily, then stopped, could I introduce maybe our chocolate once a week, let's say a takeaway once a week? To overcome the plateau or would that, would that help? So a lot of time, I wouldn't recommend adding in like let's say a takeaway or a chip or a curry or something like that. When we look when we look at plateaus in terms of weight loss plateaus, a lot of the time I find plateaus occur with weight loss because the, the client may have decreased their calories so much that they've pushed their metabolism and they've really lowered their metabolism sort of making it more difficult for them to lose weight. Do I think like you're kind of pushing at or insinuating kind of cheat meals or carbohydrate refeeds or treat meals, which some people call Something them? to tell your metabolism, this isn't the way it's always going to be. I'm not going to be eating good seven days a week. I'm going to eat something bad. My metabolism, my metabolism. It's like, oh, okay, this isn't the norm. Yeah, so I'm not a big fan of, the, of that. I, I find that's kind of... Binge eating and then calorie restriction. And when we we see that cycle of calorie restriction or 16 hours fast or 18 hours fast for five days and then binge in the weekend because you want that refeed to boost your metabolism, I find it starts creating a bit of um, neurotic behavior in terms of uh, your relationship with food. So I wouldn't recommend that. I would prefer more of a healthier alternative where you're eating sustainably, you're, you're eating to support your body 
one thing that I would say is, and I, I think I heard this from Luke Lehman before, but he was he says, never sacrifice putting your body into a nutritional deficit for the sake of being in a calorie deficit. So less is more. Do the minimum amount to see the maximum results. So decrease your calories or your macros, the minimum amount to still see fat loss reduction. But I wouldn't suggest, um, you know, a 5-2 diet or kind of, essentially bouncing back between dieting and carbohydrate refeeds. Okay, so they have been nine of the most commonly asked intermittent fasting questions that I found on the internet. Perfect. So, um, yeah, this is our very first health-focused podcast. It's something that we're going to do a lot more of. I'm going to have James on here and there to go through some of these questions. I'm going to have other guests on. I know I'm going to have a colleague of mine, Luke, on, Luke Cadwell. We're going to talk about all things training related. I'm going to have Adam Ward on, Owen Lacey, and we're going to have a lot of other guests from all over the world, a lot of more um, international presenters. But you know what? If there's any other presenters that you would like to have on, let us know through the Instagram account, through Gmail, and we'll get around to it. Also, as the podcast goes on, we're going to start answering questions that are posted into us. So if you do feel like you want myself or even another one of our guests in particular to answer some of your questions do post them in and we will get around to answering them but i hope you enjoyed the very first podcast and you know what we're gonna have a lot more content coming in the future thank you so much for tuning in on the very first health focus podcast if you found this information useful please share it on to someone a friend a family member that's someone that you think might benefit from the podcast if you enjoyed it please subscribe and give us a five-star rating on spotify and apple itunes Cheers, guys.